uh, would please turn uh, to Ruth 2. It's in your worship guide, um, or if uh, you have your Bible or your phone, uh, please turn uh, to Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that, I, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, she ate until uh, she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some of your bundles for her to leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in, in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked and said, The man's name whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, 
The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all their harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter. You go out with the young women, lest, another in the f- lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your word has gone out, God, that you would bless this message, that your spirit would be working in all of our hearts and minds. As we hear your truth, as we examine our own lives, see where we've fallen short, but then look to you for grace, for direction, for the ability to follow after you. Please help us, Lord, and be with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. You know, I was thinking about the time that I came down um, to Escondido uh, from Antioch, California. This was back in 2013 to go to Westminster Seminary in California. I'd been accepted uh, and left uh, the town I grew up in. And I remember the feeling, you know, I didn't know anyone. Uh, never lived down in uh, San Diego or in Escondido. Had no idea what I was getting myself into. And, you know, I had been uh, elsewhere uh, for college. I went to Chicago, but this was different because I, I knew I was leaving to start a new chapter. I wasn't going to come back. I wasn't going to come back to live unless God had called me back to Antioch and there was a, a position or a job there. I wasn't just going to inevitably, as soon as seminary was over, I was just going to return. I knew I was going and starting a new life. But there was all this uncertainty and unknown. I remember driving down, packing up my Geo Metro, which if you don't know what that is, it's about the step up from a go-kart, <laughs> uh, and driving down the five just praying and, and thinking, this is either, Lord, this is either going to be awesome or the worst decision of my life. And, and really, if you know me, I mean, fear and anxiety are like my best friends. We do everything together. We go everywhere together, you know. Yeah. So I, worst case scenarios go through my head all the time. So I'm just thinking of all the worst things that can happen in this experience and just thinking, man, this is this is it, and not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing what uh, was going to come around the corner. You know, I was thinking about that I was, as I was studying this, and really the illustration kind of pales in comparison to Ruth and Naomi because they're traveling and they're coming back. In a sense, Naomi is coming back home, but Ruth is traveling to an area she's never been before. She has no idea what she's getting herself into, and she's just continuing forward, but really the stuff that they're facing and the problems that uh, they have in their own life, it really is so much greater than uh, what I experienced. You know, as Brian was talking about last week, we, we think of when, when problems arise, the question is, is, is God good? Is God good to us? Is he for us? Is he going to help us? Is he going to pull through for us? And we're going to see some similar themes of that here, so we're going to review, and, and there's going to be a little bit of a repetition, but also 
the place that God shows his good to us, goodness to us most is in his church with his people. Coming every Sunday and hearing God's word preached to us and given to us, hearing his gospel and being encouraged and built up. And then also fellowshipping, loving each other, supporting each other, coming together in worship and, and telling one another about Jesus and encouraging each other. But the problem is, you know, you and I, because we're sinners, we, we come with our own shame, with guilt, with our own struggles, and that can make us wonder, do I really feel welcome? Is God really good to me? Yes, I see he's good to everyone else, but he's really going to be good and love me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've said. Look at what I've thought. Have I gone too far? Or we might feel like an outsider. You know, we might feel like we just don't belong for whatever reason. There's all kinds of reasons that that's the case. And some of those things are, are overlap. You know, feeling that shame and not feeling like we belong or a part of God's people. And then, too, you and I have a call as, as part of that, of how we welcome one another, how we care for each other, how we love each other. And we're bringing all of our baggage and failure and, and, and fail at that. You know, how do we create a space of, of welcome and love and show each other the goodness of God? And how is God good to us in that? Well, the main idea we're going to look at is that we are to show each other the same inviting and welcoming grace as God has shown us. Uh, we are to show each other the same inviting and welcoming grace that God has shown us. We're going to look at Ruth and Naomi's dilemma, and then second is God, God's welcoming grace, and third is what's our response to all that. Uh, so first, Ruth and Naomi's dilemma. You know, going back to that illustration I gave at the beginning, you know, it, it really doesn't, doesn't give the sense of the gravity of what they're doing in coming back to Israel. You know, Brian talked about this uh, last week. There's a lot of things that create problems or potential problems, at least, for both of them. They're both uh, women in a very male-dominated world, uh, which makes them vulnerable they're widows, which also just makes their situation and future very bleak because they have no one really to provide for them. There's a lot of status and comfort and security in having a, a husband in the ancient world. Both of them are widows. What's worse is Ruth is, is a pagan widow. She's the one who married an Israelite, and she's coming into a community of Israelites. It was restricted, as we looked at last week, for, for Israelites to go out and marry foreign wives and live among foreign people. And so she's, she's part of that problem. She's, she's half of the problem to Israelites. And then this is the main thing for Ruth, is that she's a foreigner. The text stresses this a lot. Three times it says she's a Moabite. Twice the narrator says it, and once the foreman, when, when Boaz is asking who Ruth is, the foreman says she's a Moabite. And then Ruth herself points to the fact that she's a foreigner. When she responds to Boaz's kindness, she's like, why are you showing me so much kindness as a foreigner? So the author is stressing for us that Ruth 
is a foreigner. She doesn't belong in the community because of her ethnicity. There's a lot of racial tension between the people of Israel and herself being a foreigner, being outside of God's community. And the text is trying to point that out of the situation she's coming into is potentially hostile. It's hostile to her because of her race, because of where she comes from. So she's subject to harassment, whether that be physical, verbal, or even sexual. She's vulnerable, and she's coming to a totally unknown culture. You know, Boaz points that out. He's like, you came to a people you have no relationship to. She has no connection to these people, and yet she's moving forward anyways. But that creates a lot of potential issues and problems for her and risks for her. Her life, in a sense, is a risk in coming to this community. And then there's Naomi, who's also a woman, who's also a widow. She's, she's a widow with no male heirs. You know, both her sons are dead. Her husband is dead. And now her prospects are, are really slim. It seems like that ship, in a sense, has sailed. So there's no sense of protection, of future for her. She's also a sinner. She was the one who went out with Elimelech to a foreign land and had her sons marry foreign wives. She's part of that. And so she's coming back to a community knowing full well what she's done. Knowing full well that that was wrong. So there's shame. There's fear. How are people going to see her? How is, how is her community going to accept her? Are they going to accept her? Is God going to accept and love her? You know, it's interesting addressing that question because in verse 19 of chapter 1 it talks about how the whole town was stirred. It's kind of ironic because the whole town was stirred upon hearing her arrival and really that means they were excited. They were excited. Naomi's back. They're, they're telling their friends, come, Naomi's return. It's this, it's this feeling of celebration and yet what does she do? How does she respond? She calls herself Mara. You know, bitterness. God has dealt bitterly with me. She's, she's wrapping herself in her own shame and guilt and also the frustration she feels about God's sovereignty, what we looked at last week. And then Ruth could be an ever-present reminder of that reality. I mean, even though Ruth has dedicated her life, has given the, the most beautiful speech of just promise and dedication to, to Naomi, still Ruth can play just a, a constant, just bitter reminder to Naomi of what's happened in the past. It could easily just make her think of her mistakes and what's happened and the bad things that have happened. And then it's interesting, in our text, what we see when Ruth goes out, Naomi doesn't go with her. She stays back. And the text doesn't say why. But it makes us wonder, because it doesn't say she's physically disabled, doesn't say she's too old, all she says is, go, my daughter. But the last thing she said before that was, was that calling herself bitter. She's just overcome with frustration and shame and anger. So we, 
it makes us wonder that maybe she's just so discouraged and in despair that she's just paralyzed. I just have nothing left to give. Life is meaningless and hopeless. You want to go out, Ruth. You want to glean the fields. You go with my blessing. But I can't do this anymore. She's just, she's given up. She's just so overcome that she just doesn't know what else to do but just, just give up. And friends, maybe you and all of us feel this to some degree, whether it's our sin and shame. All of us have problems and struggles that we go through on a daily basis that a lot of us don't know about, that others, maybe even people that are you're closest to, do not know. And so the fear, what if people knew me for who I am, what I do, what I think about? Would they really love me? Would they really accept me and welcome me? And then thinking, does God really love me? Have I gone too far in this? Fill in the blank. Does God really care for me after all of that? Surely I had his grace at one point, but I had to have crossed the line. And are the people going to accept me? Are my friends and family and my church community going to accept me? Maybe you feel like an outsider like Ruth, whether it's because of your ethnicity, your gender, feeling isolated, alone, you can't thrive, you can't relate, your background is different, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of things that make us feel separated, like we don't belong. And then, how do we contribute to that problem? What do we do to each other? What are the things that you and I, the sins that you and I have, the baggage that we bring to relationships that create separation and walls that we put up and judgment that we give to other people and ridiculing other people or thinking slanderously of other people because of the way they look, because of what they've done, whatever. How have you and I contributed to that? making people feel like either an outsider or they're not welcome. All of us, myself included, are guilty of that. You know, we come with our own sin into a people we're called to love and care for each other. But that's hard. That's difficult. It's challenging because we're just dealing with our own problems. We can easily throw that on other people. Now, it's interesting because God's care and grace meets both Ruth and Naomi in their place, in the things and the problems that they have. God meets both of them, but in different ways. So let's look at Ruth first. God meets Ruth, even though she's a foreigner and she doesn't feel like a part of the group, God, God meets her with welcoming grace. And it's interesting the narrator hints at God's care for Ruth. As she's going out, she has no idea what she's getting herself into. But the narrator puts little things in there for us to see and, 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 and know that God is behind all of this. That God actually has a good and loving plan for Ruth. In verse 1, in the beginning of our text, he talks about how Boaz is a redeemer. 
uh, a relative of uh, Naomi's husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The author is saying that there's actually a relative. There's a relative who's part of Elimelech's line. He's part of his family, which if you were to know ancient Near Eastern laws, that made him able to carry out the family name through marriage. He was worthy and able to continue that line. So it's, it's giving us a kind of a foreshadowing of what's coming. And it's interesting because the narrator almost can't help himself. He says it again in chapter, in verse 3. He says, uh, it's, it says, uh, it's, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who, by the way, was of the clan of Elimelech. Like, he's, he's wanting us to know that there's, there's a relative out there. There's, there's someone out there that's part of uh, Naomi's family. And then he does this in kind of a, a, a playful way. He, in verse 3, when it says, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. That's, that's basically saying, what are the odds of all the fields that Ruth chose, she just happened to choose Boaz's field. I mean, what are the chances? You know, it's as, as luck would have it is another way of saying it. But really, he's, he's kind of playfully saying, but we all know that this is God's doing, that God is the one working this out, even though Ruth doesn't know it, even though she's unaware, God is still working it out for her. And then there's a place in verse 4 when, when Boaz greets the worker. He says, the Lord be with you, and they respond with the Lord bless you. The way the author and the, the language words that, it, it makes us focus on the Lord. It makes the reader focus on Yahweh, which, which the author is saying without being so direct about it. This, the text is beautiful because the author is, is throwing in all these literary devices, basically saying God is here. God is behind all of this. The Lord is behind everything that's going on. And then Boaz comes in. Boaz steps into the scene. And it's interesting that the author is also like, you know, he says, behold, or surprise, <laughs> look who happens to step in the scene. You know, Boaz, lo and behold, what are the odds? So Boaz comes in and he finds out that this is a Moabite woman. So now you're wondering, how is he going to respond? He now knows she's a foreigner. He she's, doesn't belong as far as being, being an Israelite, culturally speaking. How is he going to respond? It's amazing the things that Boaz does for Ruth and shocking because he breaks so many cultural barriers things that were in place that were just normal and everyone lived by, he breaks those things and how he cares and provides for Ruth. First, he provides protection. This uh, indicates that Ruth was subject to harassment. Being a foreigner and being a woman, she was exposed and vulnerable in being out there alone by herself. No sense of protection or security. She was, she was vulnerable. But what does Boaz do? He assures her in verse 9. He says, I, I have charged my young men not to touch you. And then we actually see him do that in verse 15 and 16. He says, do not reproach her and do not rebuke her. He's very firm in this. 
And his command to his workers, he's, he's commanding them firmly, do not touch her. Do not rebuke her. Allow her the freedom to work out, to, to glean uh, of, of the sheaves, collect what she needs, and you need to be okay with that. And you need to welcome her. You need to, to, to back off, basically. And then he provides for her needs. He provides her water. And this is another shocking thing. It's almost easy to pass it by because he says, in verse 9, he says, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. What's shocking about that is, is men did not draw women for, did not draw water for women in that culture, especially for a foreigner. It was women who would draw water for men and a foreigner who would draw water for Israelites. So Boaz in that statement breaks both those rules so that she feels cared for. He just goes beyond, just over the top of making sure Ruth is cared for. He breaks those cultural barriers. And then he provides grain for her. By law, landowners had to leave sheaves that fell on the ground for the poor. This is in Leviticus 19, chapter 23, and Deuteronomy 24. When uh, Israelites would go and glean in the field, they would collect grain, they'd put it into bundles, and what fell on the ground was left for the poor. God put it into law. It's, it's, it's kind of a welfare program for the poor, if you will, for them to be cared for so that they're provided for. But Boaz goes beyond that. He gives her the freedom and tells her you can glean amongst the sheaves and collect what you need. But then secretly he goes to his workers and he tells them, even amongst the sheaves, even amongst the bundles, let her glean from that. Not just on the ground, not just the scraps, but the good stuff. Allow her the freedom to even collect from those things. And when she leaves, she leaves it what the Hebrews call an ephod, barley. Scholars wonder what, exactly what that means, but it's around 30 pounds of food, which would have been half a month's wages in a single day. That's how much she collects, which one shows the generosity of Boaz and also the hard work and diligence of Ruth. But, but notice he, he goes beyond what was normal and allowed. He breaks those cultural rules and the way things were done so that she's cared for. He's a man of power. He has status. He has wealth. He has land. He has workers. He has people uh, under him. This is a man of great power. And what is he doing? He's bringing Ruth in. He's allowing her to work with him. And he's actually including her. He even begins this by calling her daughter which is a familial term. Right out the gate, he brings her into his family. He welcomes her as his daughter. Think how shocking that would be. A foreigner, a man of great power, and that's how he treats her. And then he's, he's hospitable. He welcomes her to his meal. You know, and that day and age, meals meant more, so much more than just feeding and just filling our stomachs. It was celebratory. It was a sign of blessing. 
Sometimes it was between two people or two groups that made an, a covenant or agreement together. They would, they would finish it off by eating a meal together. And this would have been shocking to the reader. We get this sense that Ruth's kind of on the sidelines while everyone's eating. And, and Boaz says, wait, wait, wait a second. Ruth, come here. Come here. Eat with us. Sit down. Here's some morsel of bread and wine. It's this really beautiful picture of inclusion. It's shocking. She would have been, it would have been totally accepted and normal for her to eat on the sidelines. But Boaz brings her in. He brings her into the circle and includes her right out the gate. And it's interesting the way the text lays it out. It talks about how uh, she, she ate and was satisfied. And then there was some left over. I couldn't help but wonder as I was reading that, maybe you picked it up as well, that there's something else that happens thousands of years later with Jesus. When Jesus is feeding the 5,000, what happens? They take up 12 baskets of leftovers, and they were all satisfied. They were all full, and there was more. Sign of abundance and blessing. Which when we looked at that, that's a picture of Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus giving up himself and satisfying not just our stomachs, but our our ultimate need of of satisfying our souls. That's the picture that we get here, even thousands of years before that. That what Boaz is doing is, is what God is doing, really, through Boaz, is he's welcoming Ruth into his covenant family. There's so many pictures and themes actually of, of Ruth coming home when it says that Ruth returned and, and came with Naomi and left her family that's that's an idea of, of Ruth is coming to her actual home and she experiencing that she's experiencing that full inclusion into God's family and when Boaz says in his prayer and blessing over her that you've come under the wing of Yahweh you've taken shelter in his shadow that's that full picture of coming into God's family and being under his blessing and love and salvation and Boaz is showing that to her and friends this is what God does for us regardless of how we feel and what we experience or how separated we might feel from God's people you're one of his kids that you're a child of God because of what Jesus has done for you. And you are welcomed into God's family. You are part of his community with all the blessings that come with that, with all the amazing blessings and promises that come. Being a part of God's family, that's yours. That is yours, friend. And that's never going to be taken away from you. No one can take that away from you, regardless of how you feel. But it's interesting, God doesn't just help and show Naomi, or Ruth's grace, he does it with Naomi. Because remember, Naomi's just overcome with bitterness and frustration and shame that she's just paralyzed. But God doesn't leave her there. Through Ruth, God meets her. Ruth is the one who goes out for Naomi. Even though she's going out by herself, she could have chose, you know what, this is just too much. 
but she still goes out to care for her, her, her mother-in-law, for Naomi, someone she was not bound to by blood, risking her own life, risking her own uh, dignity. It's such an act of, of courage and love and devotion. She's, she's working out and showing with her actions the words she gave in 1, 16 through 17, the promises she gave Naomi. She's following through. And she's going out to care and, and love her mother-in-law. Notice she's not just collecting food for herself. She's doing it because of her devotion and love for Naomi. And then she comes back after Boaz has blessed her and given her all of these things. She comes back and shares that with Naomi. She shares what she has received, the blessings that she has received. But it's because of her that Naomi is cared for. And it's interesting because Boaz shows kindness because of what Ruth did, because of the love and devotion and coming from her hometown into a, a, a land and a people she did not know. Boaz is so impressed with that. That's one of the reasons it's motivating his kindness. There are other reasons as well. There's a lot of, of nuance of romance and, and, and Boaz is, is interested in Ruth, but also he sees and understands and knows the things that she's done. It's because of what she's done. He actually calls on the Lord to bless Ruth calls on the Lord to repay Ruth for what she has done. And that's not a works-based salvation. The, the way the covenant community worked is God did promise blessing, not just not salvation based on works, but blessing when people were obedient to his covenant and then curses when people were disobedient. He's, he's hearkening back to that. Now, it doesn't mean that therefore we we're to be like Ruth and, and work hard to receive blessings from the Lord because you and I are just failures and sinners. And the text is showing us something more than that, something much deeper than that. What it's showing us is that Ruth earned that favor for Naomi, that Naomi partakes of that blessing that Ruth earned because of, of what she did. And that points to somebody else, someone so much greater that earned blessing and salvation for you and I. And that's Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the one who went out. As Philippians 2 said, he left the, the beauty and glory of being in heaven and came to earth and sacrificed himself and gave his life for us and followed and obeyed perfectly Ruth's the sinner. Ruth's the failure. But Jesus obeyed perfectly God's commands for us. And you and I have that perfection. Even though we're just overcome with shame and guilt and the sins we struggle with, the way God sees you and I is perfect. That you are perfect in the eyes of your Father. And that's not going to change either. No matter how much our sin makes us feel like God doesn't love us, that Jesus went out for us and he earned that righteousness and love and then the forgiveness through his sacrifice for us. 
And you and I just get to partake in that blessing. And friend, God meets you. Even if you feel so far from the Lord, you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, God meets you. Here and now, God loves you. He's not forgotten about you. He's not left you alone in your sin and in your anger and in frustration. But even now, even though you don't feel it, he's ministering to you and loves you. And that's never going to change. But what does that mean for us? You know, what is our response to all this? As we understand these things for us, as we understand how God welcomes and loves us, in all of our experience, and all of our baggage, and all of our differences, how do we treat each other? How do we create this space of welcome and love and care for all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of, of who we are, the color of our skin? How do we create that? Because that's hard. That's challenging. But notice what Boaz does. He breaks those cultural barriers, those things that would have made it difficult for Ruth to feel welcome. He, he breaks those things and brings her in. And that's what God calls us to do, but it, it's tough because often we, we, we desire our comforts, we desire the things that, that work for us, that, that make us feel comfortable. But when there are others, when there are people that don't assimilate or don't feel connected to those things, or don't feel like that, that's a place or thing where, where they feel like they belong, and then are required to assimilate and, and, and take on those cultural things. What does God call us to do in those, things, in those scenarios and situations? He calls us to give up. If it means, not that these things are wrong, but if there are things in our communities, in our church, that are making it difficult for our friends and neighbors to come, cultural things, I'm not talking about foundational, fundamental things, because those are the things we stand about, the ways, the cultural things that, that uh, we have and, and practice. Are those things worth giving up for the sake of others? Sacrificing, laying down those things so that all of us feel welcome. And there's no easy way or perfect way of doing that. But it continues to require us a, a self-examination. What ways can we make the, all of us feel like a part of the body of Jesus? And Jesus calls us to, to lay down those things. I mean, Jesus himself broke those cultural barriers. Where do we see him? We see him hanging out with sinners. The Pharisees are like, what are you doing? You know, it was shocking to them. You don't do that as a rabbi. You don't hang out with, with the lowly and the, the outcast. But that's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do. And what Boaz applied is what Paul would later say that, that the body of Christ in Galatians 3.27 is that neither Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, all of us, all of us, wherever we come from, trusting in Jesus, are one. We all belong. We're all a part of the body of Christ. And then we're called, as, as Ruth did, she went out and served and gave up her comforts and security to serve 
and love Naomi, God calls us to do the same thing. To give up our comforts, to serve and care for those who are hurting, who are burdened, who are ashamed. To encourage them, to build them up, to remind them of what Jesus has done. You know, we try to do that as, as, as a community with our community groups. An opportunity for us to gather and encourage one another. And do that for each other, to serve and love each other. And then serve with our financial needs, giving to God's ministry, supporting your brothers and sisters who are in financial difficulty or family difficulty, helping out, caring for each other, giving up our needs, giving up our comforts, giving up our resources so that we can lift up and raise one another up and care for each other giving of our time, serving in God's family. Friends, this is what God calls us to do as we continue as as a ministry, as a body of believers, to first remember God welcomes you. If you're coming under Jesus, God welcomes you and calls you to remember that. To remember that He loves you. He's never going to let you go, regardless of what you do. And you're a part of God's family. Even if you don't feel like it, you're a part of God's community, and those promises are yours. And then for all of us to continue to strive to make this a place for all people, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, all people, regardless of backgrounds, come and feel welcomed by Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you, Lord, the God who's welcomed us, the God who loves us, we who are undeserving. There's nothing that we did that makes us worthy. And yet you still came for us gave yourself for us, died for us, and welcome us into your family. With your righteousness and perfection, we praise you, Lord, for that. We thank you for that. There's nothing that we can do to change that. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength as we remember that to show that to each other to show that same hospitable, welcoming grace you showed us. To give up our wants, the things that make us feel completely comfortable. To love our friends, to love our neighbors, to serve our community, to serve one another. Lord, forgive us for the times where we put up walls because of all the baggage that we bring into the relationships around us. Help us to give those things to you and trust in your leading as you make us into community, a city of refuge for the hurting, the broken, the marginalized, and the unwelcomed. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.